The last class of my old professor's life took place once a week in his house by a window in the study where he could watch a small hibiscus plant shed its pink leaves. The class met on Tuesdays. It began after breakfast. The subject was the meaning of life. It was taught from experience. No books were required, yet many topics were covered, including love, work, community, family, aging, forgiveness, and finally, death. The last lecture was brief, only a few words. A funeral was held in lieu of graduation. The last class of my old professor's life had only one student. I was the student. The thing we don't understand, because we're so individualistic, is that we are all one. We are one human family. That was the voice of Maury Schwartz, and I am Mitch Album, your host for the Tuesday People podcast, which you're listening to, a podcast inspired by visits with Maury Schwartz that turned into the book Tuesdays with Maury. The visits were 25 years ago. The tapes are 25 years old, and yet they are as relevant today, maybe even more than I ever figured, uh, as they were back then. And this podcast, which we're so glad to have you join us as a part of, has now been going on, uh, I think, I believe, six full months, uh, Lisa, because I I looked at our 26 weeks uh, was one of the last... Uh, numbers that I looked yes, at, 26 week 26. weeks is half a year, right? Mm-hmm. So there we go. Mm-hmm. We made it through six this months. Is, this is 27. There we go. So we're starting the that? second half of the first year. <laughs> and uh, we really have enjoyed doing it. Lisa Goitz, my friend and, and producer, is alongside as always. And how are you holding up in the coronavirus lockdown? I I am not opposed to the lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> Every week I talk to you, you're more and more into this. This is a little bit of a fantasy for you, isn't it? Work at home. It is. Everyone else working at home. Yes, and every and going to stores and having everybody wearing masks. I'm telling you, this is a this is a OCD person's dream, Mm. and um, I'm I'm hoping that a little bit of this will survive. You know, once we're all out of our houses. Paradigm. I'm scarily enjoying comfortable. (laughs) Okay. Yes. Well, not everybody (laughs) is, but now we find ourselves at an interesting juncture in this pandemic crisis. And that is, we are beginning, as we're broadcasting now, in late April, to open up different cities at different times, different states at different times, different counties with different sets of rules. But beginning to uh, venture out of the self-imposed exile that we have pretty much all adhered to, some out of law, some out of fear, some out of civic responsibility. What we're going to talk about today is what you heard Maury hint at in his opening comment about we are all one human family. Because more than ever, I would think this crisis has pointed out that what we do not only affects our neighbors, not only affects our county or our state, but in many direct cases affects the world. The person who flew from China to the United States, whoever patient zero was, carrying that coronavirus with no intent or fault of his or her own, affected this whole country, led to infections, led to deaths. Again, not that person's fault. Would have happened if it wasn't that person. It would have been the second person or the third person, whatever. But it shows the interconnectivity of our lives 
how one of us can affect all of us, and not just in our small community, but really on a global scale. So now that we have had a very good education in the ripples in the pond when you throw a rock in it and how they ripple out to the whole world, how are we now going to handle ourselves when we throw another rock in the pond? And that is, all right, we want to get back out there. Now, let's be clear about a few things with the coronavirus. It's not gone. It's not disappearing. All indications are that hot weather might slow it a little bit, but it isn't going to make it disappear. Scientists have tested that and have have already said, sad to say, we don't expect that just because the summer's here, it's going to be gone. Lockdowns and and shut-ins are already being extended in some places out into June, which is getting pretty close to the summer. And then before you know it, it'll be the fall again. And actually, the start of flu season is considered late August. And that's when a lot of scientists are worried about another surge of this particular virus going on the backs of whatever flu happens to be in fashion come this fall. So we're not stepping out into an all clear here. This isn't like in the, uh, in the days when you used to have air raids and, you know, woo, woo, everyone would go down the basement. And then when the air raid was clear, they gave you all clear. You came back out and everything was okay. Even in many cases, it's less sure and less secure than 9-11. You know, when 9-11 happened, there was an immediate fear in the aftermath of some kind of follow-up event, mm-hmm. that there would be another bombing or another airplane thing or another. But that quickly dissipated. And uh, that was a very instructive thing, I think, for what's going on here, because we went from feeling sort of all together as a nation. Remember the immediate aftermath of of 9-11? Everybody was pulling together. We're all one. We're all one America now. No red and blue states. No picking on the Republican president who was in office. uh, no, No going after Democrats. It was all about us being Americans. And we pulled together, and it lasted about seven minutes, <laughs> somewhere in that <laughs> That's <time>. true. <laughs> On the relative scale. Yeah, longer than a real seven minutes, but it, it quickly dissipated, if you remember, Lisa, into a lot of finger-pointing and a lot of, well, who's to blame for this? And if we had been more vigilant, why didn't the Bush administration know more about what was going on? And why didn't we see this coming? And then should we be taking action by going into Iraq? And is that the proper retaliation for this? And we became as divided over the response as we did before the thing happened. It was almost a parallel world to as united as we felt in the immediate aftermath, we became that divided. Well, now we are starting to see the fissures tiny little cracks in that national pride pulling together thing as people start to decide, is it safe to go out or is it not safe to go out? Should we be opening up all of our economy because we need money or should we be keeping things as locked down as we can because we need to save lives? This reminded me of something that Maury and I talked about quite a bit when I was visiting with him. Now, remember, he was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease, but he wasn't dead yet. He was part of the world, but he was exiting the world. He was living in a kind of unique bird's nest 
to look at the way the world worked with one another and to come to certain conclusions about what it meant to be a human being. And as you hear in this cut, he talks about responsibility to other people in your community. Or you could say, I'm a member of a community and I want to be a responsible member. So I want to see what is the best thing for all of us. So that perception and that point of view can be carried on any place you are, whoever you are. If I'm a teacher, I could say, I don't care about my department. I just want to forget about the students and write my papers so I get more promotions. Mm -hmm. Or I can say, I'm a responsible member of the society. I was concerned about the students and the faculty and everybody else mm -hmm. as I am about myself. Mm -hmm. So whoever you are and wherever you are, you can practice that principle. What he's saying there about practicing that principle is exactly what we need to keep in mind now as we start to emerge. And what do I mean by that? Well, you may be listening to us and you may be 30 years old and you may say, I don't have any issues. I don't have any underlying health issues. I'm being pretty careful, but I've got a job that I've got to get back to and I've got to make my payments on my car or I've got my upkeep to take care of my gym membership or the other things I want to belong to and do. And all of that is perfectly understandable and reasonable. But just because you're 30 years old and you have things you want to get back to, for every one of you, there's a 75 or 80-year-old who may come in contact with you if things go back to the way that they were. Or you may come in contact with them. They may have to go out to get groceries. You may go to the same grocery store. You say, oh, I don't really need to wear a mask, even though everyone's supposed to be wearing a mask. I don't really need to wear one. Are you thinking about, as much about, could I get someone else sick as you are about, I'm okay, or I'm willing to take this chance? This is what I had such issues with, with the people who were going on the beaches, or keeping up their parties, or continuing to not engage in social distancing and saying, well, I'm willing to take the risk. Or that, that famous quote of that kid now in one of those Florida things, you know, I may get corona, but I'm not going to let it interfere with my partying. You know, well, as, know. <laughs> stupid, as stupid as that is for him, fine, if he wants to risk his own health, okay. But who does he come in contact with that he might be spreading right. this to that isn't so willing to or doesn't even realize that they might have an underlying issue. We've now heard about 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 5-year-olds, infants who have died from this virus. Right. So it is not just limited to someone who's feeble and old and who you think you can recognize from a mile away. Oh, look, that old woman in a wheelchair who's, who's coughing. We definitely have to stay away from her and not get her sick. It's not that simple. No. It's not. And it's not even just people anymore who have pre-existing conditions. That's right. We're seeing and reading about so many people who were perfectly healthy 32-year-olds that just got this crazy bad strain of it and gone in two That's days. Right. So are you going to take responsibility for that person? Or are you going to be, as Maury said, uh, I'll be the teacher who just says, I want to get my promotions and write my papers and go ahead. And, and that's all that matters. This is a moment where we have to decide how responsible we are going to be for one another. Here's Maury with an aphorism to that regard. And that other little aphorisms I made up. 
that we have to take responsibility to and for each other. And when you've got that set of values, that everything is clear, there's no ambiguity. Mm-hmm. You don't exploit people. Mm-hmm. You don't take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. You don't use them. You don't, you're not cruel to them. So there are me- cruelty. Let's talk about that for a second. We don't think, well, I'm not going to be cruel by going out. But there are many levels of cruelty that, that don't involve some cartoon sinister face of, ha, 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 I'm going to destroy them. For example, there are employers who are deciding, well, this isn't that bad, or we'll, we can take care of it. The odds are in our favor. I want everybody back to work. Well, there, there are some people who don't want to come back to work. There's some people who are worried about that. You say, well, that person's fine. They're 30 years old. Well, they may be 30 years old, but they're coming into work, and they may go back home to a household where their grandparents live with them. Right. And they don't want to bring it in. And you're saying, well, I, you, know, you need to get into here to work. That, to me, is cruelty. That, to me, is not concerning yourself with the larger society, but just your immediate thing. You're the boss, them the employee, maybe just looking at their situation. So, you know, I'll keep, you know, I can keep them safe, and they're young, and they shouldn't have to worry about this, but you don't know what everybody's family situation is. And every no. one person who, who might get it from somebody else then might take it home to their family and indirectly affect them. So are you going to be a person who looks at the ripples in the pond, or are you going to be a person who looks at the stone? The stone is you dropping it in and saying, this is all I'm doing, as if there's no effects. The ripples are, well, if I do that and I make that employee come in and that employee then uh, might get sick and that employee goes home and might give it to someone in their family who, who doesn't have the safeguards and that person goes into the hospital, they might lose them. Then what am I doing to that family? Was it really worth it to make sure that I had their reports on my desk or I had them mm-hmm. back when I needed to have them? That's cruelty. It doesn't seem like cruelty, mm-hmm. right? It seems like economic, uh, responsible action. But sometimes if you don't realize what the ramifications are, it can't be cruel. And this is the challenge that we're going to have here, Lisa, as people start going forward. There were uh, people in the state where I live, in the state of Michigan, who protested, drove up to the Capitol and protested against what they felt was overly strict inhibitions and, and, and rules of what we could not do by the governor here. And amongst them were having lawn services take care of their lawns or their trees, golfing, motorboating. One of the, one of the anger uh, statements was, well, if you can take a canoe out, why can't you take your motorboat out? Now, I actually had uh, the governor on my the radio show that I do, and I asked her, so what's the difference? She said, well, one takes gas. And if you need to go get gas at a gas station, that means you're driving out and going to a gas station, and you may be handling the pump, and gas stations were under no control to sanitize the handles. And mm-hmm. therefore, and then the workers at the gas stations have to come in because they're people. And so there's a bit of a ripple effect. Now, there are a lot of people who said, oh, that's ridiculous. I can wipe down the handle and I can do this. And maybe they're right or maybe she's right. Maybe she's looking at it as what if it leads to one death? What if that one death is somebody I know? If I said to you listening out here, all right, 
we're all going to go back to work. We're all going to pick back up because we've got to get this economy going. We don't want the stock market to be down. We don't want people to lose their jobs. Let's get the economy going. But we're going to spin a wheel here. And somebody, when the, when the little dial stops, it's going to point at one of us, and we're going to have to lose a family member. We all right with that? Everybody all right with that? Ready, go, here we go, spin. How do you feel when you flick that spinner? Because that's what ends up happening. How many stories have we had to hear about people who said, I, I, had, I don't even know how they got it. We were being careful, but we never did. She was so young. She was perfectly healthy. She was here one day, five days later was dead. I've heard about people who have walked into emergency rooms on their own power, and within a couple hours were already down for the count. And we're already yeah. on ventilators. And yet they walked in on their own power. That's the, 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 the speed with which this thing can take people down. So now do you want to be the person who is responsible, directly or indirectly, for having that happen to someone else? Do you want to spin that spinner and maybe ha- even have it come back to you? That's where people trying to take responsibility for one another starts to become a factor that we need to, we need to be a little bit more aware of. Well, and also, to me, I don't understand this need to do things now. I mean, if this takes us away from our regular, you know, scheduled life, it's not permanent. It's only a little while. And if you can't deal with not being on your motorboat, but by the way, it was so ironic because the day that that guy was on the news, it was snowing. Snow was falling in front of him <laughs> yeah. while the guy was talking. Yeah. And I'm was like, nothing like a ride in a snowy river and a motorboat. <laughs> I'm like, really, buddy? You're using the wrong example here. Um, but like the people just can't give things a little bit of a hold. Like just just wait. There's. We're, nobody's trying to take away your civil liberties or your, you know, your rights and your freedoms. Those are the words I keep seeing on posters. And I'm like, your freedoms are going to be taken away if you get this as bad as some people have gotten it and right. don't ever come out of it, you right. know, or your mother or your father or your sister, you know, I mean, and you're right. You don't even know where it comes from. People are saying, I only went to the grocery store. I wore masks. I wore gloves. I come home. I take my clothes off. I wash them right away. I still got it. Yeah. So you can't be careful enough. That's right. And, you know, the same people are living in a country where you can't drive over 55 miles an hour. And they're not right. saying you're taking away my civil liberty to speed my civil right to speed. We, we accept that because it's dangerous and it's been deemed dangerous uh, to drive at higher speeds. You can't go and have three or four or six or nine beers and then get in a car and operate it without risk of breaking a law. Why? My civil right to drink, my civil right? No, you don't have the civil right to hurt somebody. These right. examples go on and on, you know, and, and, and the same reason even for free speech that you can't yell fire in a crowded movie theater because the pandemonium that it causes trumps your right to free speech. So we've long lived in a country where our civil rights and the endangerment of others have always had a, had a, a vanishing point, you know, where they, where they hit the horizon and they meet one right. another. And then you have to decide. And so the laws that have been made on these things, to me, are all sort of in that same regard. We consider that uh, an activity that could lead to more infection or increased infection, which could lead to death, which is dangerous to our citizens. So this is why we're doing it. Now, have some places gone overboard? Could you probably have golfed? 
all along, uh, which they now just opened up, for example, here in Michigan, uh, they said, okay, we're going to keep the lockdown going until May 15th, but you can now trim your trees, you can get your lawns mowed, you can put that motorboat in the water if it's so important, and you can (laughs) golf. But what happened is so people said, oh, great, we can golf, and they raced right out to the golf course because, heaven forbid, you go a month without golfing. And then they started complaining that the law was you could golf, but you can't use a golf cart. Why not? They say, why can't you use a golf cart? Well, one, it's pretty hard to separate from one another in a golf cart. And if you're going to allow golf carts and two people are going to get in them, they're not going to be practicing social distancing. And you can say to them, only one person per cart, who's going to police it? Then there's the gasoline thing. Although I don't think think carts use a whole lot of gasoline. But, you know, I had... Ironically, I, on the radio program that I do in the afternoons in Detroit, I had someone call up and start complaining about this, and he identified himself as a 77-year-old man. His wife was 73, and he said, we love to golf. How are we supposed to get around without a cart? And he was really upset. You know, how can they do this? Let us golf and not use a cart. That's not right. And I had to say to him, you're 77 years old. Right. You are an absolute target for this disease to get you out of nowhere and take you down and possibly kill you. Do right. you mean to tell me that your biggest worry is that you, you're going to have to walk if you decide to go golfing because you, you can't use a cart? I'm not 77. If I were 77, I wouldn't be coming out for a year. I mean, I'd be looking no. around saying until they have a vaccine for this or medication for this, there's no certainty for it. And yet this person was more concerned about a golf cart and, and, and riding around. And, they were, and, and and that's what I mean by now. In that case, they were really becoming a danger to themselves because they were the 77-year-olds. But the, the 35-year-old who you know wants a golf cart and is, is ticked off about that obviously isn't thinking what Maury was saying about, hey, we need to be concerned about the larger society here. Right. And I guarantee that that person, the 77-year-old who wanted to go golfing now, wouldn't have had that urge to go golfing now had somebody not told him he couldn't go golfing. Again, it's freezing cold outside, right? And number two, he probably wouldn't even be golfing until at least June. So people are just like, when you tell them they can't do something, then all they want to do is that thing that you're telling them that they can't do. It's it's like children, you know? And just to find something to complain about. And these are people, Lisa, who have not really then confronted this virus. Because if you have, you would think differently. Now, I have had to confront it in my own family. Uh, We nearly lost my my, uh, mother's brother's wife, who was a dear part of our family for many years, 78 years old and got the coronavirus, was on a cruise ship, ironically, when all this happened. And by the time she got back to America, she still, to this day, doesn't remember how she got, basically how she got back to America, or how she got flown to Phoenix, Arizona, which is not where she lives. It's, she lives wow. in Las Vegas, but they got her as far as Phoenix, Arizona, and then she collapsed at the airport, and they had to you know, ambulance her to a hospital in Phoenix. And for the next month, we were dealing with a hospital that we'd never heard of, doctors we'd never met, nurses we'd never had any control of, trying to find out if our relative, and in the case of her children, her, their mother, was going to live. And she was on a ventilator wow. for 17 days. And she's now slowly come off of it. 
thank God, because they had to take her off because they said, we can't leave her on forever. And it was it was a dice roll. We were all praying this morning that, you know, they, they took it off because either she's going to breathe or she's not. And if they right. if she's not and they're going to have to put her back on, that pretty much would, would signal the end. And you're literally being told, OK, we're going to do a procedure now and maybe she lives and maybe she dies. And when you look that right in the face and now I see she's slowly beginning to come back. But even in speaking with her, she's not the same. You know, her her speech pattern, at first they, they, they were really concerned about, the, they did MRIs on her brain to see if there was brain damage because wow. she was so out of it and, and couldn't remember anything or where she was. But it's slowly beginning to come back. This is well over a month now. When you have that experience, you're not flipping. I could care less about a golf round or a golf cart or a motorboat because right. I have faced this. Maury understood this. And he understood that his perspective on all this was changed and focused by the fact that he himself was facing his own mortality. Listen to him here. That's one of the reasons why I try to get into this business about death and dying, to get into that common fate that tells you we're all one human family because we all have to die. Mm-hmm. So we're all bonded by that dimension and therefore should be aware of the fact that we need each other for so many things. Maury realized that because he realized he was going to die sometime soon. He realized his own mortality. It changed his perspective. Those of you who are listening to us who have either suffered with coronavirus or have a loved one who has suffered with coronavirus, you don't need me to tell you this. You already know this. You already know this, that so many other things just don't matter when really faced with the fact that you could lose somebody you love or yourself. But still, the number of people who in America who have had this is just under a million. Uh, that leaves 320-something million people who haven't, which means... To them, it's still theoretical. It's theoretical. It's not real. It's not the same way it was real to Maury. It's theoretical. And it may not feel real. And so we start to get back out in society. It's like, well, everything's good now. Come on, let's, let's get back to it. And we don't want to go back to the way that it was. And we push to, to, to have things open faster than we should. And this virus, which could care less if we're out or in, could care less if it's summer or winter, could care less what we're... Uh, you know, thinking about it, it's just there and it spreads so quickly. It will be happy to take as many victims as we want to give it or be denied as many victims as we won't give it. And it's going to be up to us to take responsibility to one another and to remember we're part of this human family in order to make the best of what's going on. And, you know, Maury also worried about when the decisions are being made by people who are not necessarily the ones taking the risks. You know, some of these governors now and some of the local politicians and certainly the White House has wanted the economy to get back on track for reasons that are not about our safety, but are about our economy. Right. And about money and about an election. Let's right. face it, if this was not an election year, I'm not sure that some of these decisions were being, being made the way that they, they are or with the timing that they are. Here is Maury talking about that. 
when you have a mean-minded, mean-spirited, cruel set of leaders running things, that filters down. And people will treat each other in that way. So you're grasping for some self-satisfaction must include the understanding so it's fact that it's not only coming from you inside, but it's coming from out there, too. So it's going to be incumbent upon all of us to determine why we're doing what we're doing, why our leaders are asking us to do what we're doing, why our bosses are asking us to do what we're doing. Make sure that it is for, as Maury said at the beginning, being part of one human family. That is the that's the only principle that should be guiding us here. And we should be trying to keep each other alive because while it's 60,000 deaths and someone will put a, put a number, a way to put that into perspective. Well, 60,000 is, there are some years that the flu gets close to that. Well, first of all, we're not done. It's 60,000 as of April. Right. And secondly, if you are, one of those 60,000, if your mother was one of those 60,000, if your five-year-old child, this happened here in Detroit, daughter of a policeman, is one of those 60,000, if your infant is one of those 60,000, there's not a lot of solace in the fact that, oh, well, this is same number of deaths as something else. You think of it and you say it could have been avoided. It could have been avoided. And... uh, you don't ever want to say that. So let's remember what Maury said about being part of the family of man as we start to emerge. Let's take it slowly. Let's take it responsibly. Let's not be in a hurry to say, oh, we're due to go back to the way we were. Let's make sure we don't endanger anybody else as we begin to cherish again You know, the freedom to be able to move about. I want to remind people that I am writing a uh, online uh, work of fiction that you can get for free. Those of you who have bought my books in the past, uh, this is a new one. You can get this for free. Uh, you can download it or you can listen to it as an audiobook uh, on Audible. Absolutely free. Uh, it is something that I'm doing to try to, A, uh, give people a diversion in these difficult times and something to look forward to reading every Friday when we put up a new chapter for eight weeks. And B, to try to raise money to help fight against COVID-19 in my home city here of Detroit. I'm happy to say that we've raised close to $150,000 already through this effort. Wow. And as a result of that, um, we are uh, today opening uh, a mobile testing center in downtown Detroit at our clinic, one of the only mobile testing centers right in the heart of downtown Detroit where you know, uh, impoverished neighborhoods and people who don't get these opportunities are located. And we couldn't have done that without the money raised by Human Touch. The project is called Human Touch. The story is about a street corner in a small town, four houses, the families that live there, and how they change through this pandemic and uh, how human they become, how inhuman they become, who gets closer, who pulls apart, who trusts, who doesn't. So it's been a fascinating thing because I have to write it every week and then I have to slap it right up. (laughs) Uh, But uh, people seem to be enjoying it. We're up to chapter uh, four this week. On Friday will be chapter four out of eight. So chapter four, there'll be the halfway point. There's even summaries if you have missed 
the first couple chapters and you don't want to read all the way through them, although they're not very long. Uh, there's a video where I come on and I explain everything in like two minutes. It's like previously on Human Touch, and I catch. That's like Cliff up. Notes, but it's um, Mitch Notes. Yeah. Mitch Notes. <laughs> uh, but the important thing is we're raising money for a good cause, so you can go to humantouchstory.com, humantouchstory.com, and uh, you can just download it there, download the Audible there. Please share it with your friends, spread it around the world wherever you're listening to us, uh, because whatever donations you can make, there's no price for it. You just make a donation if you're inclined, and people have been pretty good about that. I know there's some people don't have the money to make a donation. All right, then just enjoy reading it or listening to it. But those of you who do, you know, you'll know, and if you, you can pay it forward and make a nice donation, and the money, 100% of it, will go to help needy Detroiters, the homeless, the poor, seniors, children, uh, people who are fighting against COVID-19, of course, first responders who were helping with masks and feeding and several other support systems. But this new testing center is really great. And there'll be photos of that up at uh, MitchAlbum.com and SayDetroit.org uh, whenever you want to check those out. So we appreciate your joining us here. Uh, and until we see you next week with Lisa Goich, my friend, producer, uh, we wish you... Uh, every good wish. Please stay safe. Please stay sanitized. And we will see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because after all, we're Tuesday People. <laughs>